Our scripture lesson for the sermon this morning is in Genesis chapter 50, starting at verse 15, reading through verse 21. This is the word of God, as he gave to Moses, as we approach the end of the book of Genesis, as he is still recording uh, this portion of covenant history. We read now Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21, God's holy, inspired, and therefore inerrant word. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, before your father died, he commanded, saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. May he bless its reading, its exposition, and its hearing. We saw some time back that Joseph had shown forgiveness to his ten older brothers who had so wronged him, and he had reconciled with them. They had plotted to murder him. They had sold him into slavery. They had covered up what they had done, deceiving their father into thinking that Joseph was dead, and they let him think that for about 17 years. But Joseph had forgiven them all of these things, noting that the Lord had brought this about so that he would be in a position to save their lives and those of countless others during this time of famine, that this was all God's sovereign plan to show his glory and to bring Joseph into this position. After Jacob died, however, as we read today, it seems that the brothers feared that perhaps Joseph had been just biding his time. Maybe he pretended to forgive them and reconcile with them while their father was alive, but now he might take vengeance at a time that it would no longer grieve their father. From the events that follow, we're reminded of probably the major theme of Genesis, which is that God is sovereign. Throughout the book we see this theme carried along with others, but this is arguably the most important theme of Genesis. There are several important themes in the book, like the importance of grace and of faith, uh, the gravity of sin, the reality of death, covenant theology, that God deals with his people in covenants. We see God's faithfulness, and so on. Underlying all of them from the account of creation 
to the end of the book is God's sovereignty, God's control over all things. He is the one in control. He even sinlessly uses sin for his own good purposes. We've seen this before, but nowhere is it more clearly stated, perhaps, than in Joseph's words in verse 20. You meant evil against me, he says to his brothers, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. So in other words, their choices were their choices, and yet God was sovereignly overruling all of them. God meant what they did for a particular purpose. They sinned, they meant evil, but God meant it for good. So Joseph is acknowledging God's sovereignty over this situation. Along with this, along with that theme of sovereignty, we see an important theme also of repentance and forgiveness in this passage. So our applications today will be, number one, be ready to seek forgiveness. Number two, practice generosity of spirit, accept forgiveness when it's offered, and don't think the worst of others. A third lesson we'll see is leave vengeance to the Lord. A fourth, trust the sovereign God. And indeed, he is trustworthy because he is sovereign. Five, be ready to forgive and reconcile with your brethren. Sixth, show that you have forgiven and reconciled with your brethren. Moses tells us when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they're fearful that maybe Joseph really didn't mean it when he had reconciled with them before. Moses tells us, So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. We have no record in the scriptures of Jacob ever having said such a thing. We don't know if he said it or if the brothers made it up. I mean, why wouldn't Jacob have just said it to Joseph? This is the first indication, in fact, that we have that Jacob even ever found out what had gone on, though it's reasonable to think that he might have figured something weird had happened here. So why did you tell me that he was dead? Of course, they said, well, we just found this cloak. We found this the, this robe, and it has blood on it. Of course, they had put the blood on it. Uh, but you, if you were Jacob, you probably would have figured out something was a little fishy here when you discovered that Joseph was actually alive. But we don't have any a clear statement in Scripture that Jacob ever learned what had actually happened. But in keeping with our later application of exercising generosity of spirit, And considering the other evidence that we've seen for true repentance and remorse and spiritual maturity among these men, it would be proper for us to give them the benefit of the doubt here. And we'll assume that they're telling the truth, that Jacob actually said this. It's right and proper to seek forgiveness when you have wronged someone, and they're doing that. They're recognizing that they have wronged Joseph. 
Be ready to do that. Be ready to recognize when you have wronged someone and seek their forgiveness. However, we need to be careful when we're doing that. If forgiveness has already been granted, as it was in this case, seeking seeking it again is frankly insulting to the one who gave you the forgiveness. (laughs) Because you're not really taking them at their word that they forgave you. It doubts the truthfulness, the sincerity of the one who forgave your sin. And this is something we can do with other people. It's something we can do with God. We can begin to doubt, did he really forgive my sins? And of course, God is never lying to us when he says that he forgives in Christ. And so we should not doubt. But it's all too easy for our appropriate remorse at sins to turn into doubt that God could ever forgive them. We recognize their gravity, and it's right to recognize the weightiness of our sin in the light of God's righteousness. But when he declares forgiveness, we should accept that and not doubt. That doubt itself is a sin, as we accuse God of not meaning what he said. Christians should practice a generosity of spirit, not only toward God in that respect, we should always take him at his word, but we should practice a generosity of spirit toward one another, toward our neighbors, that takes people at their word unless proved otherwise. We should be careful not to think the worst of others. This is a very serious problem, particularly in the political world today. Thinking the worst of others. Some will say such an attitude is naive. We live in a world in which people take advantage of other people, and indeed they do. And we should not be silly about that. We need to protect our families, that sort of thing. But we also, in our dealings with people, need to practice this generosity of spirit. Remember Christ's golden rule. In Luke 6.31, he says, Just what you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Well, would you want someone assuming the worst of you? Assuming that you don't mean what you say? Then, unless otherwise proven, assume that others are telling you the truth. Don't, you don't want others to refuse to take you at your word? Then don't refuse to take others at their word. We see that the pain that this causes Joseph when he has already said to his brothers, I forgive you. I understand that God was sovereign over this. He meant this for good, and I'm reconciled to you. He wept with them. He embraced them. And we see here the pain that this causes Joseph when they express doubt that he really meant that. At the end of verse 17, and Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He thought this was all behind them. He thought he had a a reestablished brotherly relationship With them. He thought that he and his brothers had been reconciled these last 17 years, and all along they've had at the back of their minds this feeling like, well, maybe Joseph doesn't really mean it. And how should we deal with him if he doesn't? It pained him that his brothers didn't believe his forgiveness was genuine. They even go so far as to come and bow before him. Verse 18, then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Now they're voluntarily voluntarily saying they are the servants of Joseph. 
And here we see God's sovereignty displayed again. In that for a final time, Joseph's brothers fulfill the dreams that God gave Joseph back in chapter 37 that are recorded there in chapter 37. And this time they do it knowingly. And before they bowed down to him not realizing who he was and God had caused that to come about. Now they themselves are submitting to that. They're knowingly bowing before him. When 39 years earlier they had scorned him and scoffed at his dreams. Yes, he was not prudent to reveal his dreams to them, we noted at the time. But they had scoffed, they had scorned him. In fact, that had led more to their uh, mistreatment of him. But ironically, in God's sovereignty, his unwise revealing of the dreams uh, to his brothers, their mistreatment of him because of his dreams, all led to their doing exactly what the dreams said would happen. They bowed before him. And now they're doing it knowingly. God caused the dreams that he gave to Joseph to come to pass. So we see his sovereignty here. Joseph's words to his brothers reassure them of his forgiveness and show that he leaves vengeance to the Lord. He says, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? In terms of Egyptian society, he's as near to it as nearly anyone could be. He's the second in command, and he does uh, not uh, unlikely have the power of life and death over them. He's got the power of the Pharaoh over everyone except Pharaoh himself, and that would presumably be even the power of life and death. Surely Pharaoh would go along with it if he thought these men had uh, been worthy of a death penalty. But he notes that it's God who actually is the Lord of life and death. God is the the one who brings about punishment for sin. He says, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Deuteronomy 32-35, in that passage, the Lord says, vengeance is mine and recompense. Or that's sometimes translated, I will repay. Citing that, Paul says in Romans 12-19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. When we take vengeance into our own hands, we're taking the place of God. Now certainly, in terms of being a civil magistrate, uh, Joseph does wield the power of the sword, but he's not going to do that for his own benefit. He's not going to do it for his own vengeance. Leave vengeance to God. Our fallen instinct when wrong is to seek revenge. To return evil for evil. But it's God's place to repay the sins of others against his people. And if those who wrong you do not receive divine vengeance because they have repented and they rest in Jesus Christ, well then rejoice because you too have received such forgiveness and we want to see Christ's kingdom growing that way. One of the reasons that we are told to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us is that uh, coals of fire might be heaped upon their heads and that's uh, 
euphemism or a poetic way of speaking of, of two sides of conviction. Either they can be convicted of their own sins and repent, or the, the judgment of God will come upon them. But it's God's place to deal with that. And if that fire of conviction comes upon them, and they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and are forgiven of their sins, you've gained a brother. Just as you were forgiven of your sins, so someone else is, and the angels in heaven themselves rejoice at that. Joseph also shows his trust of God's sovereign power as he speaks here of the Lord and saying, Am I in the place of God? As in verse 20, he then says, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. There is a great gravity to sin. Joseph's words in no way belittle that. He recognizes that what his brothers have done is a great wrong. It was evil. He calls it that. He says, you meant evil against me. But it's God's place ultimately to deal with sin. And Joseph is not interested in taking revenge on his brothers. When we trust God in his sovereign power, that makes it so much easier to be forgiving and to leave vengeance in his hands. Let him deal with it. He has the power to do it. In Romans 9, 14 through 18, we read earlier, Paul speaks of God's sovereignty, reminding us that it is the Lord's place to choose whom he will forgive and to choose whom he will harden. He points out that God even uses or used Pharaoh in the time of Moses. He used Pharaoh's obstinance and even hardened Pharaoh himself against the Israelites to display his power, to display the Lord's power, his glory, his love for his chosen people. Trust the sovereign God. Romans 8.28 reminds us that by that sovereign power, he causes not just some things, but all things to work together for the good of his people. So that as Romans 8.35-39 tells us, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus if you are in Christ. Nothing will separate you from his love. Paul asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. So even when Christians are killed for the sake of Christ, is that going to separate you from God's love, Paul asks? He says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Joseph's words in verse 21 display that his forgiveness was genuine and that he Uh, maintains that attitude of forgiveness because he trusts the sovereignty of God. He says that now therefore, therefore, why, why for? Because God 
meant it for good. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. That he provides for them and their families. As Moses says, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Those things show that his forgiveness was genuine. That he had genuinely, truly forgiven his brothers. And so we learn from this passage, be ready to seek forgiveness when you have sinned against someone. You certainly should seek their forgiveness. But exercise also generosity of spirit. Accept forgiveness and don't assume the worst of others. So in terms of forgiveness, that means take them at their worth. They say that they forgive you. Another, uh, more generally, in other ways, we see that we should not assume the worst of others. Political pundits are frequently guilty of lacking generosity of spirit. Certainly, as we've seen in previous lessons, it's wise to take sin into account and to deal circumspectly with those who are in government because when the more power you give to a sinner, the more likely he might use it sinfully. When it is plain to see that a politician's worldview puts him or her at odds with Scripture and thus with Christ's church, uh, we need to deal honestly with that fact and not pretend that it isn't true. But we should be very careful, be very careful about speculating concerning what's in someone's heart. You can easily find yourself engaging in slander. Rather, practice generosity of spirit. Christians should be above that kind of thing. Practice generosity of spirit. Be slow to think the worst of another. And then, along with that, leave vengeance to the Lord. It's appropriate to seek justice through the proper channels. God gave the power of the sword to the civil magistrate, to the civil government, for that purpose to enforce justice. And so if you see injustice committed against your neighbor or against yourself, there are authorities you can go to and deal with that. But take care that you're not yourself repaying evil for evil. You're just uh, It's proper to seek justice, but not proper to try to stick it to somebody because you feel like they have wronged you. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9 says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. So the evil for evil there, speaking more maybe of action, reviling for reviling your words. Don't return reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, Peter says, blessing, knowing that you were called to this. So, You don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Return blessing for those things. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. God gives a blessing to his people when they return blessings for evil and blessings for reviling. As Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. All of these things are easier to practice if you trust in the Lord in His sovereign power. It is not natural for us in our fallen state to return good for evil. 
It is a hard thing to train ourselves to do. And we can't do it in our own strength. Only the Holy Spirit can do it. But when we focus on the sovereignty of God, on His control of events, these things become much easier for us to accept and to deal with. He is in control. Surely, the evil, the wicked, mean evil against us. Especially the more we reflect Christ to the world, the more the world hates us. But God is meaning even that for your good. He is in control, so what do you have to worry about? Have you been wronged by your neighbor? God meant it for good. Surely your neighbor didn't, but God meant it for good. Are you persecuted for your faith? God means it for good. When our little girl was in the hospital recently in the midst of the stress that that naturally brings, uh, we, we didn't have a whole lot of anxiety about it. Now, to be fully honest, we grant that she was in the hospital, and since she was in the hospital, uh, we knew that the condition she was dealing with was one uh, that could easily be taken care of as long as she was in the right place with the right equipment. And so we weren't greatly fearful of the danger she was in. It was something that in today's, with today's modern medicine, we uh, knew was fairly easily treatable. But we also took great comfort in knowing that God meant even that difficulty for our good. I'll share a bit of our personal struggles in recent years. Why did we struggle so long with infertility? Why, when we sought to adopt, did we not have any movement in that regard for a long time, for years? Well, I might speculate now, seeing what God has done in the meantime. Perhaps it's so that we would be available for these little ones when they needed us. God had a plan all along. It was painful, it was hard, it was frustrating for us, but God meant it for good. The ancient church father, John Chrysostom, wrote, Then to show, he's talking about uh, this passage here of Genesis, Then to show how great is the favor he enjoys from God, Joseph says, You acted against me with evil intent, but God turned everything to good for me. Hence Paul also said, For those who love God, all things work together for good. All things, he says. What is meant by all things? Opposition and apparent disappointment, even these things are turned into good, which is exactly what happened with this remarkable man. He's talking about Joseph there. In fact, what was done by his brothers had the particular effect of bringing him the kingship, thanks to the creative God's wisdom transforming all their wickedness into good. God transforms all wickedness into good for his people. Trust the sovereign God. Be ready to forgive and reconcile. Joseph was. Be ready to forgive and reconcile with brothers and sisters who have wronged you. And then show it by your actions like Joseph did. He continued to care for their families, to provide for them. He didn't say, how dare you have questioned my integrity. I now remove the forgiveness I once gave. Thank God that he's not like that either. God is not like that. God is 
Much like the character that Joseph shows here, that's God's character. One who continues to forgive and who shows it. And so we should reflect that also. Show by your actions, as Joseph did, that your forgiveness is genuine. Many say, I forgive you, and then never have real fellowship with that person again. The one that they've supposedly forgiven. We ought not to be like that. We must show that we forgive. Show your forgiveness by your actions. And in all these things, trust the sovereign God. Let's pray. Lord our God, we praise you that you are sovereign, using even sins and the direst of circumstances to accomplish your good purposes, to glorify yourself and to grow and maintain your people. Help us to seek forgiveness and also to accept it, not doubting the sincerity of our brothers. Grant us generosity of spirit, rather, and help us to leave vengeance in your hands, trusting you in all things, knowing that you are sovereign. Help us to be forgiving as you are forgiving and to show that we have reconciled with sisters and brothers in Christ. For we thank you that you have reconciled us to yourself in him. As we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.